Yasas. Welcome to Greek Like Me, the podcast about all things Greek for Greeks, Hellenophiles, and anybody who's interested in learning about other cultures. I'm your host, Pamela Deodes Wood. Email us at stealthgreek at gmail.com to share comments, questions, and stories about Greeks, Greekness, or your own ethnic background. Today is part three in a series about Greek actor and singer Melina Makuri, who became a star of Greek stage and film. In our last episode, she'd made her movie debut in the groundbreaking film Stella, a departure from mediocre Greek cinema that got the attention of Europe. Stella was presented at Cannes Film Festival, winning praise for her and Cypriot producer-director Michalis Kokiyanis. It was there Melina met future husband and collaborator Jules Dassan, who immediately offered her a role in his film adaption of the novel Christ Recrucified by nine-time Nobel Prize in Literature nominee Nikos Katsantzakis. We mentioned that Melina made more money from the movie Stella than any other Greek film actor up to that time. But we didn't talk about how the movie about an independent woman who refused to conform to society's norms and helped move Greek cinema into the world arena almost didn't get made at all. Kokiyanis had secured a producer, the man with the money to fund the film. Actors and crew were hired, locations secured. They'd started filming. Three days after they started, the producer went on a gambling spree and lost all the money that was invested in the film. A chaotic three-week search began for a new investor. Kokiyanis, Molina, everyone involved in the film was scrambling around Athens trying to find someone, anyone, to invest in the film. Remember, up until Kokoyanis' previous film, Windfall in Athens, had signaled something new in Greek cinema. There was nothing to tempt serious investors to produce homegrown movies. Melina says in her memoir, I Was Born Greek, a rich acquaintance said he might be interested if at the end of the film, Stella changed her mind and accepted the joys of marriage. We kept on looking. They finally stumbled onto Vasily Lambiris no explanation as to where he came from or how they found him. Vasily was a young lawyer engaged to be married. Melina says, a moment's Gephi swept him and his fiancée's dowry into the movie business. Gephi isn't easy to explain in English. The best, the best I can do is it's a passion for life, like a joyful spontaneity. The total cost to film Stella was $22,000 a pittance. But the movie was saved, became a huge hit, and Lambidis left law to become a full-time movie producer. And Melina continued on the stage. She did Shakespeare playing Lady Macbeth, a flop. She said she couldn't get a handle on the bitch. She won high praise in a Gabriel Aru play. All the while, Stella was receiving accolades and finally made it to Cannes, where Melina met Hollywood blacklist director-screenwriter Jules Dassan, who charmed her and offered her the role in Christ Recrucified. Melina wasn't sure he was serious. She went home and had a falling out with longtime lover Pyrrhos and took off with friends for a month in the islands. When she got back to Athens, she heard from Dassan again about the role in his picture and headed off to meet him in Paris. They talked for hours, not about the movie, but their childhood, past lovers, adventures, current spouses, their dreams. They spent the next day together and parted ways. Melina was smitten 
Then she didn't hear from Dasan for months. When he finally telephoned, it was to say he wanted to go to Greece to scout locations for the film, but his American passport had been revoked by the U.S. government when he was blacklisted. How romantic. Molina's father was a deputy in the Greek parliament and Greece's representative to the Council of Europe, the precursor of the European Union. He secured Dasan's travel papers to Greece. Once again, it's who you know. Molina was guide for Dasan and his art director, taking them around small villages on Katsanzakis' home island Crete, looking for the right one to film. She was in love. Dasan fell in love with Greece. Of course he did. But he'd also developed for, uh, feelings for Molina. He was married with three children and went back to France when his director had second thoughts about the money returns on the film. Melina didn't see him for seven months. She didn't hear from him for seven months. She returned to Piros. There was more drama going on behind the scenes than ever appeared in any of these movies. Finally, the project was a go, and Melina signed a contract to act in Dassan's film, now called He Who Must Die. Dassan returned to Greece to scout villages, telling Melina he'd be bringing his wife and children with him. He didn't and their life as a couple began, as soon as she wrote a letter to Piros, breaking it off once and for all. They filmed in the tiny mountain village of Kritza and used many of the villagers as extras or for minor roles in the film. He Who Must Die was a critical success, representing France at Cannes and winning several international prizes, but it was a commercial flop. I'm seeing a pattern here. Melina and Dassan took an apartment together in Lausanne in France. She says, Pan did not oppose my living with Julie, and he did not ask for a divorce. Julie's wife was not ready for a divorce either. Melina did a couple of films to keep their heads above water. Dasan was still supporting his wife and family, besides helping to pay for his and Melina's apartment, while trying to find another project he could sell to a producer. And finally he did, with Melina in a supporting role. But right away, financing became a problem, again. Dasan was offered the money if he'd cast sex symbol Gina Lola Brigida as the 15-year-old protagonist. You can imagine the rewrites and the frustration. Lola Brigida did not look like a 15-year-old. Plus, Melina and Gina hated each other. Where the hot wind blows, lost money, in spite of the sexy movie poster and the attractive title, on the home front, Dasan's children refused to meet Melina. Melina's mother feared for her daughter's reputation. Living with a married man will marry to another man. Pretty scandalous for the late 1950s. In the meantime, the United States Supreme Court had decided it was illegal to revoke the passports of American citizens. Just as Dasan got an offer from United Artists in New York to discuss a five-picture contract to make films for them. Melina traveled to the U.S. with Dasan who signed his contract. But pretty soon, United Artists was rejecting every project he submitted. You know, the intellectual stuff. Not very commercial. Until Dasan got the idea for a film and wrote the script about a carefree prostitute in the Port of Pireos and the American intellectual who tries to reform her. The film was tentatively titled The Happy Whore. Oh, God, that's awful with Melina playing the fun-loving prostitute Ilya, 
but it was green-lighted with a caveat. The money to start the film would be a loan. If United Artists liked what they saw, they'd consider it an investment and bankroll the rest of the film. The scramble was on again. Dasan and Melina headed for Greece, where a friend of Melina set up a production company for the film. Her brother, Spiros, who was part of the Greek government, got permission for the company to shoot at the port of Pireos. Melina's wealthy husband, Pan, persuaded a bank to provide money to hire the actors and crew. Another friend ran all over Athens, collecting anything that could be used as props. Melina pulled in actor friends well-known on the Greek stage to fill out the cast. They hired lots of locals for minor roles and walk-ons. Her father, as we remember, a deputy in the government, got them a telephone immediately, which in those days apparently was just short of miraculous. And her mother brought samples of wallpaper for the sets. Basile Lambiris, the former lawyer who'd bankrolled Molina's first movie, Stella, became the production manager. It was literally like the gang got together to put on a show. I wonder what Dasan would have done if all the Greeks hadn't shown up to pitch in. The new name for the movie was Never on Sunday. Thank you, Lord. Marika Kotopouli theater star Tito Vandis is in the film and is fabulous as a character who barely says a word. In later years, he popped up in quite a few American films and TV shows. You'd recognize him. Melina's close friend Despo plays another prostitute with the same name. Everything was in place except the male lead. Not one of the American actors Dasan approached were interested in doing the film. So in desperation, Dasan, a one-time actor himself, took it on. The crew and actors researched the red-light district of Pireus, visiting bars and tavernas the, the prostitutes frequented. Melina sat with them, chatted with them, ate with them. She was a guest at several teas given by them, and she studied them, their mannerisms, the slang, the music they listened to. Never on Sunday's final budget was $200,000. It made millions and it made Melina Makuri a star. It was the first Greek film distributed worldwide that was shown in major movie theaters rather than small art houses. Everybody loved Ilya. And to the joy of the Greek Tourism Bureau, now everybody wanted to visit Greece. Tourism skyrocketed. Film companies began filing paperwork to film in locations all over the country. Melina was now the unofficial ambassador for Greece. And the people of Greece completely embraced her. They loved Melina. Bruce Clark, in his history book, Athens, City of Wisdom, says, She had won international fame by promoting their country's heritage in a form that was not highfalutin or refined, but bold, confident, and funny. Melina was a full-blown, worldwide celebrity, visited in her stage dressing room by Prince Constantine of Greece, meeting Queen Elizabeth of England, Everyone knew who she was. Everyone knew Ilya. She tells a story about her maternal uncle, Pyrrhus Lapas, who was an admiral in the Greek Navy. He was hosting a contingent of American naval officers visiting Athens and offered to take them on a tour of the Acropolis. According to Melina, they said that was fine, but first could he take them to see Ilya's house in Piraeus? She was adored in Greece. Soon after Never on Sunday came out, she and Dasan were leaving their hotel, which happened to be across the street from the British Embassy. There was a demonstration coming down the street, hundreds of people marching to the British Embassy to demand freedom for Cyprus, 
which had long been under British control. The way Melina tells it, when the crowd saw her and Dasan, they veered over to them, chanting their names, lifted them on their shoulders to march them across the street, still demanding freedom for Cyprus. Remember our Speak Greek episode with Marianne talking about Cousin Zimi? Greeks couldn't pronounce jewels. They said Zil. Zil, Melina, freedom for Cyprus. Melina says in her memoir, I'll never forget Julie in that surging mass, trying to pull down my skirts, which had gone awry. Composer Manos Hadidakis, who'd worked with Melina on stage and in films, wrote one of the most famous songs ever, which is still played everywhere. Never on Sunday. He won an Oscar for it. Of course he did. I guarantee you've heard it. It became Melina's signature song. As a Greek entry in Cannes in 1960, the film was nominated in five categories, including Best Film. Melina received the Best Actress Award and a 15-minute standing ovation, according to the Washington Post. Her ma was finally proud of her! She was nominated for Best Actress in 1961 by the Academy Awards and BAFTA, the British Academy Film Awards. BAFTA also nominated Never on Sunday for Best Film. Dasan was nominated for an Oscar for directing and original screenplay. Clark says, A rising film star called Melina McCurry had gained an accolade at the Cannes Film Festival for acting. Melina was so important she made it into one of the most respected history books about her city. He should have also mentioned that the film propelled Greek music into the international psyche, right where it belongs, Manam. Never on Sunday was a huge moment in her career, a huge moment for all of Greece and the diaspora. Look, we would get excited when a Greek actor had lines, usually playing an Italian in a crime story or a Native American in a Western. She was a Greek, playing a Greek in Greece, speaking Greek, singing and dancing to our music. I can only imagine how difficult my mother was to live with for months after that movie came out. It was loved by the elite, it was loved by the middle class, it was loved by the poor. Melina said of the fanfare, I became the mascot of the whores of the world. I received letters from everywhere thanking me for portraying their profession with dignity. If you haven't seen Never on Sunday, you're missing out. Ed and I rewatched it a few days ago and I loved it more than ever. Melina is a marvel. We couldn't find it on any streaming services, but we watched a perfectly serviceable full-length video on YouTube with no commercials. We also watched a clip of her guest spot on a 1962 episode of What's My Line? So that's how famous she was. She was on American game shows, and she was adorable. Melina's memoir has lots of stories about the filming of Never on Sunday. The book, I Was Born Greek, was not easy to find. It was published in 1971. I bought it from Better World Books. It was selling on other sites for an incredible amount of money. Okay, by now everyone wanted a sequel. They wanted the fun-loving, working-class character again. So, Melina and Dasan's next film was a tragedy based on the ancient Greek play Phaedra. In Greek mythology, Phaedra is a princess of Crete who marries Theseus, king of Athens, and then falls in love with his son, Apollodus. 
Tragedy ensues as Hippolytus rejects Phaedra's advances and she turns father against son. The film was based on an idea by Greek novelist and playwright Margarita Liberaki to bring Phaedra into the 20th century. It was set not in the empires of the ancient Greeks, but in the rarefied world of Greek shipowners, extremely wealthy, powerful men. I don't see them talked about as much now, but when I was a child, Aristotle Onassis was followed by every newspaper and gossip magazine, probably because he'd married the widow of assassinated U.S. President JFK. Fedra came out in 1962, the year before Kennedy died. But the choice of ship owner as the most powerful person in Greece was totally accurate. They've had a long history of obscene wealth and obscene power, kind of like Jeff Bezos or the Koch brothers. So Theseus became a ship owner in the film, Fedra, his privileged second wife. The casting of Hippolytus, the desirable stepson, came about after Melina and Dassan attended a circus near Paris. Across the ring, on the opposite side of the grandstand, a young man stood up and blew a kiss at Melina. Dassan recognized Anthony Perkins, recently of psycho fame, who was filming another movie in Paris. Melina finagled an intro, loved him, invited Perkins to their apartment in Lausanne for dinner, and popped the question. The answer was yes. They had their Hippolytus. Phaedra was filmed on the beautiful island of Hydra, where Melina and Dassan rented a house and piled everyone in. They had the same crew that worked on Never on Sunday, and an assortment of actors Melina knew from the stage. But per usual, there was Greek drama attached to the project behind the scenes. They'd been given permission to film at a shipyard that belonged to one of the parallel ship owners that the Theseus character was based on. On one of the last days of filming there, Dasan was informed that permission of the ship owner had been revoked and the entire company had to vacate the premises immediately. I love that her memoir isn't just about her triumphs, but all the crazy, messy stuff that went on as they were trying to get these movies made. Dasan is arguing with the ship owner's minion. The crew is refusing to move the equipment, which is settled on a floating dock near the ship they were using as Theseus's ship. So the minion orders the shipyard workers to sink the floating dock with everything on it if the film company doesn't beat it. It was one of those docks that could be raised and lowered as needed. So Dasan leaps onto the dock, insisting he'll go down with it and all the equipment. The Greek actors and crew charge onto the floating dock in support, holding the equipment over their heads, cameras, lights, whatever, as the dock slowly sinks into the water. Melina and the other women actors in their fine costumes jump on, holding their expensive skirts above their waists in an attempt to protect them. Perkins and the cinematographer take damning photos of the entire incident, as well as the ship the company was using, which was badly damaged, and in port for repair, which was apparently the secret, the damaged ship part. For some reason, maybe this is why, the Minion doesn't want any of these photos made public and now will not allow the crew and actors to leave. But he raises the dock, which had gotten them over thigh high in water, and it ruining everybody's costumes. The police are called, demanding that Perkins and the cinematographer turn over the incriminating film, which Melina has already hidden on her person, where even the police dare not go, not with the daughter of a government minister. Melina manages to get a phone call, out to Baba Makouris, her father, who shows up at the shipyard with a lawyer. 
They both go into negotiations with the minion. Dasan promises the photos will not be published, and the shipyard owner allows them to continue filming. The reason their contract to use the shipyard was broken in the first place? The royalists were in power in Greece, and the ship owner had heard rumors that the film was anti-monarchy. The monarchy was never mentioned in the film, except that Theseus, an ancient monarch, was now portrayed as a member of the club that was really in power in Greece. Someone please make the movie about this memoir. Fedra was a critical success. Molina was nominated for Best Actress for the 1962 BAFTA and the Golden Globes, the awards given by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. United Artists sent Molina on a whirlwind press junket throughout the U.S. and Europe. But as far as profits were concerned, the film flopped, especially in the U.S. Melina believed it was because her breakthrough role in Never on Sunday typecast her as the lower-class fun girl. She was the privileged, well-dressed woman she portrayed in Fedra. But people wanted Ilya. Ironic, since for most of her acting career, she'd starred on the stage in tragedies. I kind of suspect that naughty, sexy, powerful women she played may have turned off the Americans. After the press tour, Melina became seriously ill for the first time in her life. She doesn't offer up the diagnosis, just that the doctor didn't like the look of her lungs on x-ray, which is both ominous and foreboding. She was put on three months bed rest, which I can only imagine was a torture for her, Dasan, and anyone else in her orbit. But she recovered. And she continued to do theater in between her movie projects, as well as other films than those we've mentioned. The next big film she and Dasan did together for United Artists was a classic 1960s crime thriller romp called Topkapi, partly filmed in Istanbul at the famous palace, or Constantinopoli, as Greeks, including Melina, still call the city. The 1964 film was a success. It's really a lot of fun. Melina won Best Actress at the Donatello Awards, which is the uh, Italian equivalent to the Oscars. The entire experience was an eye-opener for her. Melina claimed the main thing she learned was that Greeks and Turks were perfectly capable of getting along together. Greeks and Turks would live together in peace, she said, if politicians didn't find it useful to keep animosities alive. Wise words, and absolutely true. She could be talking about the current situation in my home, the United States. But Ilya was what the people really wanted. And finally, in 1966, Melina and Dasan decided that's what they would get. For six years after Never on Sunday came out, they'd been getting offers about bringing a musical comedy version to Broadway. They rented a house on Spetsos and recruited their team. Manos Hajidakis, who'd written the popular Never on Sunday theme song, was on board to write the rest of the music. The lyricist for The Man of La Mancha, Joe Darian, joined them. Dasan wrote the script. While those three worked on the play, Melina was a sounding board, always bringing in her take on the characters. But often she'd wander out into the tavernas and cafes on the island. She made friends with the most interesting people there an American, a Nobel Prize winner in genetics, and with Vasilis Vasilikos, the author of the novel Z, who would go on to write over a hundred books and become ambassador of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, and Greta Garbo. She would meet her favorite actor, Garbo. 
Her film hero happened to arrive on Spetsos on the yacht of an old family friend of Melina's. She was invited on board and presented to Garbo. I would say the name dropping in the Molina story is extreme, and I am contributing to that. But this is how she lived her entire life, connected. And it's important to understand that. Sometimes these movies got made because of all of her connections. And these connections would work for her later in her life when she became more politically involved. Anyway, the next night after she'd met her, Molina and Dasan threw Garbo a party at a garden tavern on the island. There was a bezuki music, dancing, plate-throwing. The old movie star got the full Greek treatment. Garbo asked Melina to dance, and she smashed her first plate. Son ran into the kitchen and brought out a big stack, and she smashed every one of them. As she returned to the yacht on a small boat, the party continued to serenade her in Greek. Melina has said that as a child she wanted to be Garbo. The Garbo was the performer that made her pursue acting. To finally meet her in Greece and party with the reclusive actor must have been a dream come true. Soon the play, now renamed Ilya Darling, would be ready. Why would they would rename it? I don't understand. Many of the actors were Greek, including Tito Vandis and Despo Diamantidou, reprising the roles from the movie. American performer Orson Bean would take over the sound's role as Homer Thrace. Before they left for New York City in 1967, Panayotis Pan, after 21 years of marriage, granted Melina a divorce, and she and Dasan were married. They'd been living together for 10 years. It's normal today, but in the 50s and 60s? Especially for a Greek woman, Panagia! Her mother must have been so happy. They moved to New York City to prepare for the musical, and the Greek consul of New York gave a reception to honor them. The Greek ambassador to the United States gave another reception in Washington. Greeks worldwide were proud to be represented on Broadway. But first, Ilya Darling went on the road to test the waters, opening in Philadelphia, where they were a smash, critically and by popular vote. They went from city to city, and Greeks everywhere showed up wherever they were performing, bringing food and inviting Melina and the company to their homes for dinner. Melina said it was like touring the Greek provinces. Dasan had never directed a musical before and kept playing with the script and demanding rewrites on all the music all the way back to New York, where the play premiered on Broadway on April 10, 1967, with huge advance sales. Unfortunately, reviews later the night were lukewarm. New York was a whole different animal. But everyone loved Melina. She enjoyed the energy of a New York stage, and the audience cheered her on. For 11 days, she settled into working on the biggest stage of her life. Then in the middle of the night on April 21st, Manos Hajidakis called Melina to, quote, tell us that freedom was strangled in Greece. A military junta had overthrown the government of Greece. Life would change dramatically for Melina and everyone she knew. Next week, in part four of our series on Melina Makuri, we'll talk about how Greece went from a democracy to a military dictatorship overnight and how Melina burst out of her privileged bubble to take on the Greek army at the risk of her life. Thanks for listening. Greek Like Me is a Stealth Greek production. 
This episode was researched, written, and narrated by me, your host, Pamela Diotes-Wood. Our producer, photographer, and post-production editor is Douglas John. Visit our website at stealthgreek.com for resources, photos, links, and more. Please rate, like, and subscribe. It helps us get noticed so we can keep making content about Greeks and Greek culture. Find Greek Like Me on Facebook or on Instagram at Greek underscore like underscore me. See you next time. Yasas. Θέλω ένα, δύο και τρία και τέσσερα φίλια